Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 42 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about a movie that teaches us that love actually is all around. It was written and directed by Richard Curtis and came out November 14th, 2003. Do you know Richard Curtis at all? Does that name... You know his work, Caroline. I do? Okay. I'm not familiar with Richard. I mean, he and I have not been acquainted, but I believe I, I believe you when you say I've seen his work. Uh, or you may not have seen it, but you've certainly heard of it. If you've heard of Hugh Grant, you've heard of Richard. You've, you, you know Richard Curtis's work. He has written – this was his directorial debut. He wrote and directed this movie. But previously, he wrote a couple of movies uh, by the names of Notting Hill – Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bridget Jones's Diary. Yeah, so this is actually his fourth movie, uh, his fourth big movie that he's written. Uh, he goes on to do the Bridget Jones sequel. He's written a bunch of stuff with Rowan Atkinson as Mr. Bean. Oh, um, yeah, yes. but yeah. So everyone in this movie has a connection to Curtis, basically. All of the core characters have appeared in something he's written at some point, sometime in his career. So it was a very, you know, I think taking on a directorial date, you know, uh, uh, reigns here. I think he wanted to be surrounded by people that he felt comfortable with. Okay. Well, he certainly surrounded himself with a lot of people, Mike. This was a lot, a lot of individuals that we all recognize. But I do want to tell you that you said it was released November 14th, 2003. That bodes well for its Christmasiness. It's at least coming out the right time of year. Budget of 40 to 45 million. And it came back, though, with 246.8 million. That's amazing. That's probably one of the most successful movies we've covered. I mean, this was the most rented DVD in the United Kingdom in 2004. You know, mm. like this movie was because of its Britishness. And it is British. It's super Britishy. I mean, other than a couple of blondes included in the movie in the Collins section, you know, Alicia Cuthbert and uh, Denise Richards and as a blonde Shannon Elizabeth, you know, other than the, the January Jones in one of her earliest uh, film appearances. Yeah. Other than them, there are no Americans in here. And actually, I think half of the women I just named are actually not American either. I think huh. like Alicia Cuthbert, I think, is Canadian and a couple of the others are actually not I'm going to throw in there. Um, I would say Billy Bob Thornton is also uh, oh, American. Oh, true. Yeah. I mean, like, of course, we get there. we get the scuzzy guy. Uh, as, the, as the American here. <laughs> He's the rep. Hey, you know what? I'm going to give you my one sentence plot summary. Are you ready? Please. And thank God we're back to one sentence. I couldn't take the anxiety from <laughs> last week. Uh, poorly grammared two sentences from IMDb. Uh, we're, thank God we're back to one. So love actually follows the lives of eight very different couples in dealing with their love lives in various loosely interrelated tales, all set during a frantic month before Christmas in London, England. Now, I can 
talk about this movie for a long time. I love this movie, but I am very curious your history with this movie, if there is any. I've got no history with this movie, Mike. This is exactly when I had my third child. I literally had given birth three weeks to my third baby. All that's three babies in 10 and a half months. Um, and so to be honest with you, this one flew right by my radar. I did not have a chance to go to the movies nor watch anything that wasn't like a Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I had a whole guess that this was in that blackout period when I saw but I, we, we've, we've done this. <laughs> I have like my lost years. It, it's definitely in this 2002 to 2005, I want to say, was like Caroline was just changing diapers and doing her best to stay alive. <laughs> I mean, if, if you'll indulge me here for a second. Sure. Uh, I mean, Polar Express, Christmas with the Cranks, Surviving Christmas, Love Actually. Those uh, those first three were 2004 movies. 2003 has Elf, Bad Santa, and Love Actually. So six movies that we've covered in these 42 weeks have been from that 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 small blackout period. And yeah. let's see, have there been any 2002s? And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Family Stone from 2005. So, so that's all eight. still in, in a dark area there yeah, for me. So, so eight <laughs> of the 42 movies so far have been from yeah. this this dark period with you, which is, which is kind of funny <laughs> because this movie, people, I think, tend to either love this movie or hate this movie. Ooh. But it's a well-known movie and has become it's, – it's not exactly 24 hours of love, actually, like the way Christmas Story is – but this okay. movie gets a lot of play during the Christmas season. So that's a fascinating aspect of this movie because I have to be honest with you. I've watched the majority of these movies with my kids, and um, but they're you know 18 years old, so they're not like little bitties. But I still don't like to watch anything that has like nudity and stuff like that to like to the degree that this one had. So for me, I was really surprised that this movie does come up so much on like the, you know, free form type, you know, TBS movie channel all the time. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was not expecting this stand in pornography ish, you know, storyline that's in it. So I do want to heads up parents. If you guys are wanting to watch this with your kids, there is a censored version version and there is an uncensored version and the uncensored one is the one that mike and i watched on amazon prime uh but if you want to look for that censored one especially i think even if you're watching with i don't care really how old any kind of are. family i really yeah, yeah. You, you don't, don't want to watch grandmas. with like nana or grandpa no, right no yeah. i mean there's a lot of, i mean there's there i mean i'm not gonna go super graphic but it's it's pretty graphic um and even there's parts that i don't know if they cut out or or not um I don't. I can't even describe them to you, listeners, because they're too graphic. But but cameras go a lot of places, <laughs> and there's certainly a lot of like um, bras and underwear shots. Like I'm pretty sure like every female was like in their bra and underwear at some point. Um, so that's a whole thing too. So just heads up on that. If you guys are watching, just recognize that that there's two versions. Don't be tricked. Don't think like oh I'll just I'll just rent it and it's going to be the same thing that's on TBS. It is not. And please beware because it will embarrass you. I my son came in and was like is it boob free yet <laughs> and i was like oh no and i really i don't i'm not usually somebody who gets real like like get out of here or whatever but this time because i didn't expect this this plot line to continue on as far as it did he came in a second time and it was even more going on and i was like get out <laughs> 
<laughs> that's terrible. I'm never like that. So I don't have a history with this movie. I didn't know about these plot lines at all. And I, and I didn't really know uh, much about how to approach this movie. So I'm really glad that you have all this experience with them. And like all these people are super familiar to you. I'm, I'm relying on you to sort of ingratiate all these people to my life. So I think, you know, one of the one of the pluses for this movie that can also be a drawback is the volume of characters and storylines in here. I think there's actually 10 distinct storylines being followed in this movie. This was a, this was like a, a phase. Gary Marshall started doing these movies after love actually did so well. He did new year's Eve. Uh, he did, uh, was it Valentine's day or mother's day? He like these, these groups of people seemingly unconnected who then kind of all cross paths kind of vignette, kind of movie became kind of a fad because love actually did so well this is one of the first to do it on this grand scale and then gary marshall his like last years all of his movies were like this i feel like but yeah so i think the best way to watch this movie is that there are going to be plot lines and characters that you gravitate towards and get invested in and others when they come on screen like the uh john and just judy uh the porno stand-in actors uh (laughs) plot line you know that movie gets that whole subplot martin freeman and joanna page essentially get lifted completely out of this movie whole cloth in the uh amc abc family version of this movie which takes it from an r to a pg-13 with a little Mm. racy pg-13 and it just with with just by editing them out you don't miss it It, i mean i i love martin freeman but it's also kind of weird for me now to see bilbo baggins you know simulating (laughs) sex and it was and it was a lot guys i mean i'm really serious it it was it was a lot i mean i mm, there's a lot of positions and whatnot it's not subtle i mean it's meant to be you know pornography it's 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 definitely a whole thing and here's the thing I think going into this, again, if you're, if you go in with this is an adult movie that if you're going to watch it on something like Amazon Prime, then I don't think that the nudity and the swearing or whatever was in it was too much or anything like that. Like it wasn't offensive to me. It was only surprising because this is the first one I couldn't watch with my kids. So then I was taken aback and was like, Oh my gosh, like this is got a lot in it. Now, is this a great two glasses of wine? You know, there's some sassiness in it. Yeah, this is a great, especially like blow off some steam, wrapping presents or whatever you're doing. Everyone else is asleep. Like you should totally turn this one on because I think that it speaks to the adult side of everything. And and the love stories are some are very hallmarky and some are very like truly heartfelt. I don't dislike the Martin Freeman, Joanna Page storyline, the John and just Judy. It's actually pretty funny how it's carried out, but it's not family friendly. If it's just going to be you and your significant other, definitely watch the Amazon prime version because it, it it is funny. I mean, and it's saucy and it's, it's got that British, like kind of edgy, like, like you Americans are too uh, conservative. They're trying to, you know, they're doing a meet cute, but they happen to be stand-in workers for pornography films. And, and so, they're working on a movie together intimately but also trying to like uh, talking about the prime minister each other they're just trying to meet each other and and you know how do you fall in love and how do you how do you get a co-worker story really right it's a co (laughs) right it's a co-worker love story and a lot there's a couple of those uh plot lines in this so yeah it's definitely if you can watch the unedited version because there's some amusing stuff in there but if you want to watch with your family and you're looking to put something on, definitely watch the edited version. You're not losing anything. All of the stuff that makes this movie best is still going to 
be there. Um, you know, Mike, I was going to tell you, it's funny because the stuff that's censored for Americans, actually, I was watching like a British version um, of like commentary on this one. And the guy was like, he was so taken aback that they left in words like bloody and bollocks and stuff like that. He's like, that swears to us. Like, it's funny to me, to me that they left it in, in this censored version when, you know, there's a particular scene that he was pointing out between Hugh Grant and his love interest where they actually swear at each other and it's it is a kind of a meet cute kind of moment well they cut that out and they make them just kind of do something else awkward and he's like that was bizarre but then later on they say like arse and stuff like that like right. well because like, they're using american curses in that scene right they're using yes. the f word and the s word man bullocks you know, it doesn't register to most Americans as it just sounds kind of like a funny, a funny, a funny great <laughs> word. You know, it, it doesn't does. like it doesn't really register. But that scene is hysterical, though. It's like, I, I thought I for sure f myself up on my first day. Oh, yes, I've done it again. You know, that that's very, very. And you know what, Mike? And, that is totally me. I would absolutely say something like that. And then be like, <laughs> so here's one of the things. So one of the things I love about this movie as a film. Totally confession time, and I'm coming into this totally biased. I, I own very few films. I've in my life have owned very few films on DVD. I love physical media. I love like video games and 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 CDs and albums and cassettes. I've never been a big movie collector though. This was one of those movies that I actually owned the DVD when it came out at that Christmas season. Uh, I watched this one a lot. This is my favorite non-animated Christmas movie. So biases on the board going up front. I, everything I'm going to talk. About about. I'm going to be talking about from a, a glowing kind of place. <laughs> well, and I also feel like, again, because you've seen it so many times, these people, these characters are like, you know, grown into you a little bit where like for me, I just met everybody. So right. this is like my first, you know, cocktail party with them. And I'm like, remind me this guy's name. Like there's a whole like I could see where if you watch it over and over again, you I'm sure pick up on like smaller little nuances within each storyline. And and I think you you kind of find your storylines like when I was first starting off. I didn't really understand the storyline between Daniel and and his stepson. I didn't exactly know what was going on here. Like I was like, okay, what are what are we going to do with these two? So there was like different ones where I I figured it out right away and other ones where I was like, I'm not so sure what is happening here. Because there are so many different storylines in this movie. I like to sit down with this from time to time, depending on whatever my mood is. And then then my focus shifts and my attention is heightened depending on what's happening on the screen. Because uh, someone like Richard Curtis, I mean, you, you heard the movies that he's written. He he knows, at least a, from a bridge sensibility, romantic comedy humor and and feel good and emotion emotional based writing drama and with this with the cast that includes alan rickman emma thompson hugh grant kira knightley colin firth liam neeson bill nye uh, uh andrew lincoln a super young baby-faced andrew lincoln laura linney for goodness sakes i think she might be american martin freeman in one of the minor roles and martin freeman is one of the minor people in this movie when you have that kind of toolbox this movie can 
apply to so many different moods. If I just want to feel silly and happy, I'm going to go watch the Hugh. I'm going to focus on the Hugh Grant and Natalie storyline. You know, if I want, you know, if my heart is feeling heavy and I want to just be in the emotions, I'm going to go watch Emma Thompson cry and act her butt off uh, because she is gravitas and emotion and heartbreak personified on screen you know if i want to be silly i'm going to go focus on colin going to america and meeting his um, his wisconsin girls <laughs> i could also see that this would uh, this would apply to different times in your life like this is the type of thing like this movie's been out for almost 20 years certainly you've changed as a guy over 20 years you've been at different stages sure. of your life so i could see where you'd stop back in and be like you know what i'm feeling a little bit more like you know andrew lincoln this this year or like last year maybe i'm feeling a little lean Nisini, however you're well, feeling. For sure. I mean, in 2003, I was five years away from becoming a dad. I didn't appreciate Liam Neeson and Tom Thomas Sangster's relationship, the Daniel and Sam stepson relationship. I very much resonates with me now watching this movie, being a dad and 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 having a son now who is 13, the same age that that Sam is is in this movie. That all resonates with me and it has become like a front runner plot line for me now. I was watching it yesterday and like I was leaning forward and everything about their their relationship and watching Titanic to coach him and get him over heartbreak and the one finger and taking him to the airport. These are all things I would hope I would love to do with Tom if, yeah. if it came up. And that wasn't something that was even in my, it would just completely went by me, the, the, yeah. the emotional resonance of that, you know, 18 years ago. That makes complete sense to me. And and honestly, that that storyline, you know, hit me as well. Even the small moments, the take Claudia Schiffer to the funeral portion and like all those little things we're we're all very like, I get you, like I see you. And and it was it's so much more impactful than than say like the the Colin storyline of going to Wisconsin to have this like crazy, you know, romp with all these women. Like that definitely seems like I don't know, twenty something year old Mike would be like, Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> You know, like I could right. see you enjoying it in a completely different way. I mean, I had been to Milwaukee much closer in 2003. You know, that storyline felt differently to me now than when I'm 43. And I'm like, you fool. You fool. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That's very funny. Yeah, you know, but I want to I want to get back to some of before we talk about some of the characters, because I think to go through the casting, we really want to talk about some of the plot lines that either worked for us or didn't. Otherwise, it's just too far flung reaching. But I want to play this is the clip I played that I played last episode as what was coming up, but it kind of sets this tenant of love and what is love in this concept of, you know, the way love is interpreted. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow airport. General opinion starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. That's a powerful thing to think about. And I think something, a sentiment that we forget all too often and i think get so caught up in our lives and in in the sadness sometimes that creep into our lives 
that is really super powerful and and played over the images of the families reuniting at the airport at the beginning these strangers that were filmed those were all real people the camera crew mm-hmm. sat there for a couple of weeks uh, richard curtis sent the camera crew to secretly film anytime something emotional was happening some kind of family reuniting they were filming and then running up to the families afterwards and asking them to sign a waiver that they could use that footage in the movie kind of thing so and the bookend of it with strangers at the airport and then at the end of the movie the characters we know now at the airport mixed in with strangers at the airport reuniting i love i love that sentiment that immediately grabs me and then sits me down as as something that i'm going to want to watch and 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 kind of you know uh, pay attention to so I, I feel like the sincerity and authenticity of those moments comes through and so i'm glad to know that those were real moments there was a, a specific one where a little girl was hugging her mom and her face is like over the shoulder and her face is so so genuinely happy that i was like there's no way this kid is like acting in any way you know like this is a real moment i, I and i didn't know that fact that they had just filmed it like that but it really felt that way and i think that you're right i mean gosh two decades later we're still feeling like the whole world really just wants to you know choke each other out and so to feel like no no there's like go to an airport and watch people come in and see how happy they are and how much love there is and this does a great job of showing such a variety of love stories you know not just between you know men and women but unrequited love loves between parents and kids you know like there's a lot of stuff going on here that you should be able to find someone here that you relate to years ago before this movie came out before 9-11 uh i i used to i used to be quite a night crawler because of the hours i worked and my schedule was always kind of a rolling schedule i didn't sleep very much so i was always in my car driving around and and just going places and i would hang out at the airport sometimes for a couple of hours and just watch people arrive and leave and just kind of people watch it's a fascinating interaction of humanity watching people return who have no one waiting for them versus shoulder to shoulder with people who have you know a bunch of people waiting for them and and hugging and and just having that that moment of i've missed you so much at the gate it's it's a it is a it's a great pitch for a movie that all on its own would be kind of fascinating but i like how they use it here as this kind of bookend this is also one of those first movies after 9-11 that kind of references the twin towers directly 2003 this is literally just just two years after after the two-year anniversary it was all still kind of fresh then too but i hear it now and it still kind of cuts at me it feels that way yeah it, it puts you in a very vulnerable spot when you start the movie off like that this whole movie has you vulnerable if you let it this movie kind of strips at you uh, it strips it away a lot of layers because it's working on you it's making you laugh and then making you go hmm and then it's also making you cry i mean i i, I want to kind of get into for me i think uh, the emotional heart of this movie is the emma thompson alan rickman relationship mm. i think there's a lot of christmas in there because you have the girls with the christmas pageant and the the obligations of no matter how your world is falling apart you still need to put on a face and 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 make christmas happen for your kids and you still need to sew lobster costumes uh, did did that section feel one realistic to you was this a was this a realistic marriage the way rickman and thompson are playing uh harry and karen and and did you identify with how she kind of handled it and soldiered on you're you're a mom who has been through the ringer you know with your kids over the years i'm a dad who's been through the ringer with family and relationships and, and kids over the years i identify a lot with what's happening here i'm curious how how it struck you though 
I thought it felt very grounded in reality. Karen's realization of what is going on with Harry and and just their day-to-day lives, their routine, the the excitement of, of the little girl saying she's the first lobster. Um <laughs> That that all made me laugh because my my kiddo uh, was in a in a biblical play that involved slaves and she was slave number eight and she was like eat your heart out slave number nine like she was so proud of her little self and uh, and it felt all of that I could feel every second of it and her moment of realization of what is going on with Harry and she's in the bedroom and the tears. Oh my goodness. Someone was talking in my house at that time. And I was like, be quiet. She's like realizing what's happening. And I was like, Oh my gosh, because yeah, it hurt my heart. And then the way that she just continues on and tries to figure out how to, how to move forward. I respect her, man. I respect her. Cause you can't fall apart. She's got kids. She's got a life. She, her brother's the prime minister. She's got obligations, especially at being Christmas time, it's not like you could just go check out. You can't go, you know, on vacation uh, and leave leave your world at that time of the year. It's not like random middle of like the summer or something. Everyone is still mom, 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 or you know, Karen, Karen, Karen. Harry, not realizing he's been busted, is yeah. still like, oh, we've got to go to the Christmas party. Mm. You know, Professor Snape. You know, I mean, <laughs> it all is still happening. Just the whole the whole way it plays out is seeing him at the jewelry counter so it's already planted the seed then checking his pocket and seeing the necklace and then because it's the same kind of shaped box her face and the way it falls with the Joni Mitchell CD which on any other given Christmas would have been the best present that he listened to her and that she loves Joni Mitchell but here it's like a knife through her heart this thing that she loves is is turned to ash in her mouth because it represents because she knows that that present is out there somewhere and it didn't go to her it's it's devastating and real and so fantastically well done. It, it is. I'm so glad that they got such stellar actors to play that little part there because their storyline could have been handled a lot more flip. I mean, we've certainly seen where you have couples and there would have been screaming and there would have been all this stuff. It could have been very dramatic. So to have them play it with that sort of British stiff upper lip really felt like, yeah, this is what would really happen. Emma Thompson famously went on record saying that she drew on her own heartbreak. Uh, her husband cheated on her oh. with Helena Bonham Carter in like the mid nineties, oh uh, which is crazy because they ended up being in like Harry Potter movies together late, years later. Oh yeah, yeah. But she drew on that kind of heartbreak. So she, I mean, she's really feeling here. That was a that was twelve takes, and Curtis gave an interview years later where he was blown away. The set was just dead quiet watching her work because she was just coming in. 12 consecutive takes and just turning it on and hitting it out of the park just crying and just pouring all of her emotions out there and it feel you know that it felt so real every single time you could watch this movie for the first time and i've watched this probably movie you know 50 times and it still hits so so hard I think it's the restraint that she shows in that scene where she's not like blubbering. She's not doing the like big heaving sobs. Like it's so quiet and restrained and thoughtful about how she's handling the moment, like how she steps out and and handles herself and then walks back in. Like the whole thing was just so just so well done. Like I, I really appreciate her. My first Christmas as a single dad with Tom in the run up to Christmas, we were together and I got an email about it was a financial it was a financial aspect. It was something I wasn't going to be able to do for him that I was really setting my heart on for Christmas. 
And it, it, I got the news while I was sitting with him on the couch. And, you know, I went to the bathroom and I kind of like broke down for like three minutes. And you know what? I, I, you just kind of have to put it together and mm-hmm. go back out there. Like there are some times in your life, there are some times of the year, there are certain days, especially when you're a parent, but just when you have obligations and people relying on you, parent or otherwise, you can't fall apart. You have to be Emma Thompson. You have to allow yourself a small moment and then just put your face back on and, and go back to work. I find that so relatable. I think especially during the holidays. We yeah. talked about this in other in other movies where, you know, putting on a certain facade, you know, making sure that you're playing your part, that you're doing your, you know, whatever you're the supposed to be. The got to get sewn, you know? Yeah, you're being the good soldier, right? You're showing up, you're doing your part. And I think that there's plenty of families who can appreciate, you know, maybe they're they're having a rough patch or maybe it's something as serious as Harry and Karen and you still have to go and show up at grandma's house and smile and, you know, pass the turkey without being mean to one another like that's a whole it's a whole mood that that they're they're definitely sending to us there's this whole recurring theme and and you see it in the card that hugh grant david the prime minister gets from natalie where she writes uh, this is not an exact quote but it's essentially if you can't say it at christmas when can you a i'm actually yours with love your natalie with like some x's and o's after it and there's this there's a theme a couple of times of you have to be honest at christmas you have to tell the truth at christmas if you can't say it at christmas when can you say it that's not a theme we've actually encountered in our 42 weeks here but it made me because it came up in different storylines it made me start to think is there some truth there is 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 it a time for opening up your heart as wide as it can be and letting yourself be vulnerable because when else are you going to do it yeah i actually do and there's part of of my lithuanian tradition that actually speaks to this on christmas eve there's a part where you go around and we break the wafers with each person and part of the deal with that is that it's supposed to erase any like bad feelings from over the year like you may have somebody who you don't you haven't talked to all year or maybe you're having some sort of grudge but the deal is you have to go around and, and literally break bread with each person having forgiveness saying what you want to say saying i love you you know, that type of thing. And that's what ends up happening. Like we have like, you know, 30 to 50 people and you go around to people who you haven't seen since the previous year and you end up giving them a hug and whatever. So I do think there's something about Christmas and renewal and having that moment of like, you know, I, I just, I feel safe. I feel like this is a safe time for me to tell you how I feel. And somehow it's going to be taken more gently than any other day of the year. I love, I, I love that. And it, it resonated with the, that was actually something I picked up in this movie, probably because we're doing this podcast. I'm, I'm sure it's because we're doing this podcast. <laughs> that I never focused on in any of my other viewings that that oh. hit me. No, yeah, it was not a theme. Uh, it wasn't a Christmas theme that I had in my head that I was actively thinking about. But okay. watching it, watching it for preparation of this, I was like, oh my god, like that's totally here, and it's it's woven into this whole movie. These people, many times, different people say yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, there's you know, Mark is doing the famous cue cards, which yes. is which has been memed and copied. I mean, uh, Andrew Lincoln, they do a they did a sequel of this movie, a little uh, like a tongue in cheek sequel of this called Rose Red Nose Day, actually, 2017. It was done for the <laughs> Red Nose Charity. And Andrew Lincoln, who's now Rick Grimes, bearded Andrew Lincoln at that time, you know, he's back with his cue cards. The, the cue card scene 
has been often mocked and parodied and copied, but it's kind of iconic. It's from here. And yet I still didn't recall. He goes, at Christmas, you tell the truth. And then yeah. he goes on to say, to me, you are perfect. And my wasted heart will love you until you look like this. And then he puts like a, like a, like a zombie body <laughs> on the kind of thing, making her laugh. But again, this whole theme of it's, it's Christmas time. This is this is when you have to fess up. And in the same way with on a sad note at the Christmas pageant to, to go back to Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman, Karen and Harry at the end, the, the play is over. She can breathe a little bit. You can see that some of her responsibilities have been lifted, which is going to allow her to now confront Harry. But again, in a very British way, in a very proper way, she she asks him, what would you do if in your my position? A true married couple should be best friends. And it is typically somebody who you would ask advice from. So I love that they did this in a way where it was like, she's like, I have nobody else to ask, basically, right? Like, so if I would have asked your opinion on anything else, despite the fact that this is happening to the two of us, I have to ask you, like, your opinion on this. And, like, how would you handle this? And even though it could have been done, like, very condescending, I actually thought that it it had, like, a whole other element of, like, no, like, you're the person I would ask for guidance from. And so, you know, there's a little edge to it, obviously, because, you know... She's not, it's obviously about them, but you know, I, I appreciated that they like tapped into that. The, the part of it that got to me and, and again, just felt so real. And so much of this storyline feels so real is, you know, he's like, Oh, Karen, I was a fool. Uh, and, and, but she goes on and the punchline is, but you made a fool out of me too. You made a fool out of us, our marriage, and you made a fool out of me. And then, then she finally kind of starts to break and she, she, she leaves. She walks away at that point because she's, she's going to start crying and she doesn't want to do that in front of him that to give that satisfaction that it is crushing her. This idea that you've made a fool out of me again is an aspect of, this storyline that we don't explore often, even in movies that are about infidelity and long-standing relationships, there's there's a humiliating there, and there's nothing she can do about it because, again, she still has to put on her face. She still has to be a mom. She still has to be the sister to the prime minister. There's only so much exploding she's allowed to do in her life. And now on top of it, she has to deal with this humiliation that people will find out about and maybe not speak to her face about, but it's going to be whispered every time she has to see Mia at an office thing. It's going to be there, uh, you know, because they stay together. So Richard Curtis's uh, partner, I don't think they go by husband and wife, his partner, Emma Freud, she did like a Twitter watch along a couple of years ago. And she she confirmed two things. One, it was a fully sexual affair between harry and mia it wasn't just a flirtation because i guess there were some people that because they love alan rickman wanted to give harry the benefit of the doubt that maybe maybe it was just the necklace maybe it was just a flirtation it didn't go anywhere no uh richard curtis he's like no no you you should understand he fully fully cheated on her do you know how you could tell you know what was the moment that I realized that? He looks was, so relaxed. No. When Harry and Mia were having the conversation and he was standing outside by the tree and he's asking her what she wants for Christmas over the telephone. And Mia is so like blunt about what she wants. And he is so blunt back. He's like, right. Okay. Good. Whatever. Right. Those are people who are not still just in the flirting stage. 
Those are people who have done the deed and they're like past that hump, if you will. So now she's asking for things. Oh, and I don't think like they've actually. I don't think they've actually had sex at that point. I think that's. Oh, I, th- I did well because she she had said she says in that scene, "I've told you, you know, I'm willing to give you whatever you want," kind of thing. So I don't think they've actually consummated. It. I think it's after that. I imagine it was him giving her the necklace, and that's all she's wearing in my, in in my head canon. That's what that scene looks like. Uh, See, and I go like that it already happened and like this is like they're already at that point where it's like she can ask for anything. Yeah, I thought she meant I could give you everything, meaning leave your wife and we could have a whole relationship. Oh, no, no she just meant sex. And and that's all that ever was. So uh, the other part of this confirmation is that Harry and Karen remained together uh, unhappily for at least for the foreseeable future but they remain together because so many couples do remain together again that's kind of a real thing you have little kids you've got this life together sometimes you're not allowed to do the things you want to do that may be healthiest for you because of life obligations and life doesn't allow you to do all the things that are going to make you happy necessarily kind of a bummer but also it really is hitting and dancing on this emotional string that I think we all need to visit sometimes and sometimes it's easier to face it in a movie and look at it there versus see it in your own life kind of thing and process it that way. I don't know. I I, I always found this. I've been Rickman and, and, and Emma Thompson are just so, so good. Emma Thompson, by the way, wearing a fat suit. Uh, she's actually oh, she's actually uh, too thin to play the housewife that they wanted her to play. So she's actually wearing a little bit of a, a frumpy house suit. That's wild. Uh, yeah, you actually had a theory. Talk to me a little bit about the the body shaming in here because well, not a theory, but just I do feel like there's, observations. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like there's there's some jabs, you know, throughout this. I mean, Emma Thompson does say like I feel fat tonight, like that kind of thing, and Natalie is definitely like takes the brunt of it. I think, so, you know, she says her boyfriend like, broke up with her because she was too heavy, and then basically, you know, her dad calls her plumpy and all that stuff. And then later, though, at that end, when Hugh Grant like picks her up and is like you you know you weigh a lot i was like good god man like we've all right dead horse walk away like we got it y'all think she's big and i but here's the thing i don't think she's big she's a round face no. but for goodness sake i think she's beautiful not at all like, i don't not know all, what their I, deal is yeah I, I think that's just kind of british humor though too because hugh grant in the beginning of the movie uh when he when he's removing natalie from his office his his executive assistant comes in or his you know number one comes in and and he says, you know, Natalie, and uh, she says, oh, the the large girl or like the fat girl. And he's like, are we calling her fat? Because I don't think so. And he and she's like, oh, no, have you seen the thighs on her? They're thick kind of thing. Like this Goodness. woman is like like kind of calling her out. I mean, the woman, the woman, the assistant herself is extremely thin. But yeah. So, yes, there is definitely some of that. And then you have the Colin Firth, Jamie, the yeah. Portuguese sister, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Dunkin', Miss Dunkin Donuts 2003. That was crazy. Yeah. No, that was all nuts. So I, I was just kind of surprised by that. I mean, I'll, I'll go with it that that's just like part of British humor. And if they were having, it's also two thousand three too, right? right? I mean, I think that that's those are probably lines that don't get into a script into in twenty twenty one, and it didn't add anything. It was unnecessary completely. So. No, just cheap laughs, kind of thing. Yeah, completely. There's a scene at the Christmas pageant where 
Emma Thompson, Karen, uh, she sees Hugh Grant, remember, and she's she's just hanging on to all of it by a thread here, and she sees her brother, Hugh Grant, at arrive at the pageant, and she doesn't understand that he's there to, you know, snooker Natalie. She thinks that he's shown up because of his nephew's, uh, his niece's uh, Christmas pageant. She holds on to him so tightly. I don't know if you caught that whole thing. I did, I did. But, but you know what? Sometimes- she's hanging on to him like a lifeline. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, I, but, it's very interesting because, you know, I have one sibling who lives here in town and one who doesn't. And there's times, though, when, you know, we've had like a health emergency or something's going on and they show up and I don't expect them. And we're typically at like a hospital or something. And I mean, I've had that moment where you're like, you're just so relieved to see someone who's on your team, you know, and like with everything she's going through to see someone who she knows is going to be on her side is like, oh, my God, that is the life raft. I've never been gladder to see my stupid big brother, she says to yeah. him. <laughs> I was also thinking about that fact that I was like, wait, Emma Thompson's supposed to be younger than Hugh Grant? I believe she's actually a year older than Hugh Grant. Well, and so. they kind of look it, too. So I was right. like, uh... <laughs> Well, maybe they, maybe the fat suit was a little too much then for, uh, for, for Emma. <laughs> but let's talk about David and Natalie, because this is, I think, when most people think about this movie, this is what they think about, at least the Hugh Grant, right? He's the dancing uh, Pointer Sisters dancing, you know, prime minister who stands up to Billy Bob, who falls in love with his assistant, you know, who follows her to the dodgy end of Waddingsworth to, to find her and track her down, you know, sings king wentzless on a doorstep kind of thing when the other um what do you call it oh my gosh like his cop starts to sing with him i Good was king wentzless went to town on the feast of steve because yeah, he has hysterical. this whole other thing where he was like oh like he did this like total yeah. vibrato that i was like i'm yeah. dying i love I'm dying. it i love it what the, what's this is this is the main this is one of the two main storylines i would say one of the three main storylines let's cut everything else out of it what's your takeaway of natalie and david David, and does that storyline work for you? Does it work for you as a romantic comedy? Did it make you laugh, make you smile? What's your what's your feeling on the movie? I mean, I think that it was such a grand gesture of him like coming and finding her. And of course, the grand gesture of everything with Billy Bob Thornton as the president and him him like changing the relations between Britain and the US, basically, because of his feelings for Natalie. I mean, I he's grand gesture central. If isn't that what we want though from our partners? From isn't that don't we want change the foreign policy of your nation out of <laughs> out of love because this man disrespected this woman that you may or may not have feelings for, just on the principle of the thing that you're such a scuzz bucket <laughs> i'm for it i i don't know that everybody would would love that but i'm for it i think i think that it was like amazing that he goes through you know actually finding her and going up and down the whole street although i kind of want to be like no one has her address but okay it's funnier to have him like knock on every door i think that that is what they are to me they are the grand gesture couple they're the ones that are like they have gone through this push and pull and then now suddenly it's like enough's enough and we're gonna have this big moment What's your Hugh Grant relationship? Are you charmed by him? Do you find him just the bee's knees? Because uh, the bee's knees, no. <laughs> well, because I think I think he's again people women uh, generally are either very drawn to his charm or turned off by him as being maybe a little too smarmy or a little too much. 
I, this is our first Hugh Grant we've done together, so yeah. I'm curious uh, your feeling. I mean, I would say that I, I, his charm is undeniable. I mean, he obviously is somebody who can, you know, get your your look, your second look, I guess. You know, you're looking back at him. For me, I mean, it's he's not somebody that I'm like attracted to, but he is somebody that I completely get the charm and the boyishness, and he is a scamp, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I completely get it, and I get why Natalie, and of course, he's like the prime minister. I mean, there's like a whole other layer here of like this powerful man right and so i completely get it i i understand hugh grant i mean i was around during the whole miss brown and so i remember everything you know going on with that so he kind of has like a little bit of a different uh taste in my mouth because you know his regular personal life was like a little like sketchy for a while there but i mean in movies he always plays the same guy he's always charming he's all he can always get the girl i think although did you ever do you remember was it nine months what was it called was it called nine, nine months? months nine months yeah do you remember that that movie do you actually vaguely, remember vaguely like very vaguely he's kind of not remember. really a good guy in that for like most of the movies so that was kind of surprising i think it's 50 50 if he play in his movies if he plays a completely straight good guy i think he i think he teeters a lot in the han solo rogue uh area a lot of his movies i think notting hill is an exception where he is purely a good guy but i think there's a scampiness to him in a lot of his movies you know even here you know he just i mean from a 2021 lens this is a prime minister who is pursuing a servant in the house you know that is not cool really and i don't think would be you know I don't think would be entirely accepted in in modern society, you know, the pursuing of her. We're putting we're putting a romantic sheen on it and I still view it that way, but I'm well aware that in a 2021 setting like this would not be okay. This would be career ending. This would be scandal city. Well, and not only that, but I mean it's very like abuse your authority. I mean, he's like showing up and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's I actually lot. like that he moves her out of the office. It, I think it would have been easy and I think he would have come off so much worse if he had kept her if she had kept serving him tea and biscuits while pursuing her or dealing with his emotions with her you know he's aware he has changed foreign policy of his nation because <laughs> of his you know urges for her and feelings for her and and so he that's why he moves her out but i think it maybe balances out the thing a bit i guess i, I don't mean, know it doesn't bother me like i said i could put this in its time and place i think you're right though in 2021 i think it's maybe written a little differently you know maybe they're on a little more even footing or something like that to where he doesn't have so much power over her i'm also presuming that he had her move to a job that made her as much money or more money yes. it wasn't like she i was got thinking fired of that too because yeah. it, like if she's like unemployed because right. of it that that is not okay in any kind of stretch but I, in my head i don't know that ever clarified so in my head it was always like he she got moved somewhere else in government at as good or better a job kind of thing uh, what did you think this line made me laugh uh so much when he knocks on her door and finally finds the right house and the whole family i love how all the families gather in the doorways it's a recurring yes bit. <laughs> and uh you know he agrees to take her and the octopus in the car and the mom says uh eight is a lot of legs david 
It's just <laughs> yes. very funny. Yes, just all I the sewing and work. I definitely I, guffawed. I love, I love again that we have not only three lobsters, but we have also an octopus. There's also a blue <laughs> whale in the Christmas pageant. Yeah, I totally saw. You know what? It was making me think back to when we did um, Anna and the Apocalypse with it's a musical podcast, and they're both British teachers, and they were telling us like there we're not in school on on Christmas Eve. Like well, there's no reason for kids to be in school. So I was kind of laughing about the fact that they did make this play happen like basically on christmas eve like i was like this is not a thing and we've already been we've we've had two experts in the house that said like no 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 they would be out for christmas break so i i was like kind of like laughing at that but i love the the drama of it all obviously it needed to happen oh my goodness when when the when the uh, all i want for christmas is you is finally open and they're <laughs> snogging it at center stage i mean it's classic rom-com stuff here but when she, she like kind of sides a mouth uh you know what do we do now and his his advice is perfect it's uh smile little bow and a wave and just kind of <laughs> gracefully make their way off and you know who doesn't want to see people too kissing uh see two people well kiss especially kissing. the prime minister at the elementary school i think was the big wow <laughs> there for, and there for his nieces and nephews kind of thing very cute lobster number three in this movie actually is the is the daughter i believe it was a daughter of the of richard curtis and emma freud so it's actually it's actually their child uh, got a little cameo in this movie very cute richard curtis gets a cameo in this movie do you know where he pops up no i have Uh, no idea look at me doing a transition here a segue (laughs) he is the trombone player in the wedding scene oh funny that's hilarious what do you think about that wedding scene are you somebody talk about grand gestures good lord love it it's my, my single favorite scene in the movie Wow, really? I love it. I would <laughs> I would pay for this to happen at some event I was even attending, let alone being a uh, a principal party of. I love the song. I love the arrangement. Uh, I love the I love everything about it. I'm a huge fan of it. It makes me smile giant. Uh, I wish it came a little bit later in the movie because I like it so much. I feel a little spent by the time it's over. It makes me so happy. I love it. Oh, I love You're that. a grand gesture. You love the grand gestures. This has to have melted your heart. <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. I mean, I yes, no, it completely did. It, but it was throwing me completely about what, again, these are brand new characters to me. So I was like, who did this? who put this all together it's not the bride or the groom like what is happening right now so i this was an interesting like thrust into this this love triangle that we have going on here again this is remember i was i was talking about at the beginning of every time you watch this movie it all depends on what's your mood what what are you looking for it's kind of like uh uh, billy joel in scenes from an italian restaurant you know bottle of red bottle of white maybe a rosé tonight like what 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 emotions do you want to tap into are you going through a love triangle some kind of unrequited thing are you having feelings for your best friend's guy or girl well, go talk to Andrew Lincoln because Mark here is having some major issues dealing with the fact that he is head over heels in love with his best mate's, well, now wife. Again, I find that super relatable at some part of your life. This movie is a journey of life kind of thing from Sam is. and uh, Sam's crush on Joanna at Young Love all the way through this dealing with, you know, hard emotions in your early 20s through, you know, Karen and Harry, you know, and, and where Liam Neeson dealing with being a widower and how do you move yeah, on from that? Yeah, that's like the whole end, right? You have like these these two ends of relationships with Harry and Karen and also then Daniel, like dealing with like a true end to a relationship. 
so I, I know you watched a little bit of The Walking Dead, I think. So I know you know yeah. Andrew Lincoln, Rick Grimes' beard. What's your take on his performance here? What's your feeling about how he interacts with Kira Knightley? Because that cue card scene, as iconic as it is, is received at the time and, and years later, kind of mixed, you know, grand gestures for sure, but also maybe a little creepy, a little stalkerish, a little a little off-putting too. Gosh, I mean, I think you can read it all the ways that you just said. I can absolutely see where it would touch someone's heart. And I could also see where it would be horrifying. Like you'd want to close the door and be like, I don't know what you're trying to do to my marriage. I don't know why you're standing here. Like you're only going to cause trouble for me. So I could see all of those reactions. And I kind of think all of those reactions kind of happened throughout the thing. Like she was like, what are you doing? She was looking over her shoulder, you know, to see if her husband was coming and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think ultimately given the, the setup that they gave that we're going to be honest on Christmas and plus it was like the elephant in the room. Like she already knew because of seeing the the video footage, she already knew all this stuff. He just wanted to like basically wrap it up, put a bow on it. Like, here's the sitch. Like I'm, I understand what's going on with you guys and it's cool, but I'm always going to love you. We can leave it at that. You know, and even when he walks away and he, and, and they do have like that little peck kind of moment. And he says enough, enough now, like that part to me felt like, okay, he's not going to stalk her for like the rest of her life. He, he, he said what he needed to say. He got it off his chest and now whatever happens, happens. Basically, right. he, he needs his closure. I, that's how I've always taken it. I, I see why people think it's a little creepy and whatever. I've never taken it that way. I, I always took it as he needs to finally voice this and confront this, right? I mean, she she comes to his flat with the impression that he hates her because of how he feels he has to treat her at arm's length all the time because of his actual real feelings for her. This feels like closure for that, for him. You know, I've said it's kind of the same advice Liam Neeson gives Sam, uh, David that uh, David gives, not David, that, uh, that Daniel gives Sam is... If you don't tell her in the airport seat, if you don't tell her how you feel, you're always going to regret it. So that is worse than anything she could possibly say to you. That's kind of what Mark is working on here, too. He realizes I have to tell her how I feel or else this is just going to eat at me forever. Not that he's expecting anything from it, right? He's not expecting his her to leave. He his says best no agenda, but I mean, question mark, question mark. Obviously, he has hopes on the whole thing, but you know, I I think that I think it's fair, especially given that he had been treating her so coldly. Like he needed to explain himself in a way that was like kind of it was very grand, um, you know, and so she could feel like okay, this is really. This is for real. Like he's willing to go this far. This isn't like a text or whatever. And he had to do it, of course, without without there being any trail, if you will. Like he can't say it out loud. He can't call her. He can't text it. Like he's got to be standing in front of her just quietly expressing this. Uh, so years later, uh, Andrew Lincoln would go on to say that he wished that the scene had been done a little bit differently, that in in the later years, he he realized that for him, it came off a little, it came a little too close to creepy and stalkerish and wish it had been uh, done differently. That being said, he actually wrote the 
cards himself. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he gave an interview in 2013 uh, to Entertainment Weekly, and he said, you know, it's my handwriting. It's funny because the art department did it, and then I said, well, can I do it? Because I like to think that my handwriting is really good. And actually, it ended up with me having to sort of trace over the art departments. So it's my handwriting, but with a sort of pencil stencil underneath. That's so, super funny. So super kind of funny. funny. Uh, mother, more than method actors wanting to get their hands dirty. Kira Knightley, so young in this movie. Take a guess at how old she is when they film when this movie comes she out. She looked incredibly young. I mean, I would say under 20 years old. She's 18. She's doing a wow. her main acting method here is biting her lip and smiling. Oh, yes. She does it a bunch. She yes. does a lot of uh, lip <laughs> biting here. Um, Very much. And I bring up her age because Sam, Thomas uh, Sangster, who looks so little and so young, he's 13. They're only five years apart in age, and she is playing a married woman yeah. in a love triangle, and he is having his first pangs of love. This was a whole plot line that never really resonated with me as a kid, or not a kid, as a, as a 20-something, but now at 43 with a 13-year-old of my own, man, my heart is melting over this whole thing. From Daniel having to say goodbye to his wife to the sound of the Bay City Rollers at that funeral to learning how to take care of his stepson and get him to open up and lead him through this first crush and first love. Yeah. What did this do to you? Did, did this did this feel right to you? Did it, did, did it connect with you? Did it hit you? What's your take on Daniel and Sam? I think that these were two very, very, very good actors. And I think that that is key. The, this storyline would not have worked without Thomas Sangster. Like, I think you could have put another kid in there and it would have felt so sappy or so awkward. And there was something about him. We all know him from Queen's Gambit. You know, he was he was one of her challengers in that. And I felt like he has such sweet eyes and such he was a tremendous delivery. I mean, he he had a lot of funny little lines that absolutely landed and you could see, you know, the struggle with them was so real. You know, they, they really, they needed each other, but neither of them wanted to be in this position, you know? And so it's like such a difficult place to be. And I think the advice that everything that ends up happening with him is adorable. I mean, it's super cute. And, you know, I was, I was laughing about the whole thing. Him running through the airport was making me giggle for sure. Oh my God. I loved it so much. So apparently there's a longer cut of this originally. They, in the original script, they set up that Sam was a gifted gymnast. Oh, that's why he did that. Like, I totally noticed his little pike position over the bar. So the end, the end run through the airport was originally done that way to tie back to the fact of him being this gymnast. Uh, that's why it was cut like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, so many great things. It's funny you know him from Queen's Gambit. I actually know him for he becomes a, a voice actor of a cartoon that I actually grew to love, even though I'm adult. Uh, Phineas and Ferb. He's the voice of oh, Ferb. Oh, sure. Uh, he's the voice of Ferb when that cartoon comes in 2007 or 8 or whatever it is. The funny thing is Olivia Olsen, who plays his crush in this movie, Joanna, uh, she becomes Ferb's kind of on-again, off-again, unrequited love crush, Vanessa Doofenshmirtz in Phineas mm, Ferb. So these two funny. these two were reunited just a few years later, uh, again, as animated love interests to each other. I'm glad that they added this Daniel Sam storyline because of the showing different types of love, you know, of, of being able to show this this parent child relationship. That's that's not his biological father and and working it through. And same with Billy Mack's story, honestly, when they really get down to it, showing that love between him and his manager. There's a whole 
thing there that's like friendship love and and companionship love that is also you know highlighted in the story there are so many little lines that in my head I relate to the world because of this movie and in my head. And uh, when he's playing the drums, by the way, Thomas Sangster didn't know how to play the drums. His father, oh. his father is a drummer. And so oh. taught it, taught him how to play drums specifically for this movie. And uh, Thomas Sangster actually still plays the drums today, but it all stems from this movie. Well, he was very believable as a little guy playing. It totally is. And I love that they show like it starts with him just doing quarter notes on a drum in his room. Like, I'm going to do it. I love this kid. I Every kid should be so determined at their task as as sam is to as to become excellent at an instrument and the way that leah neeson says there's just one flaw in your plan and sam goes i know i don't know how to play an instrument but that's just a minor detail and you know i love he, he delivers like a grown little man he's a he's he a really little man does too. he he truly is and i love that again like he could have been this really disney-fied little boy he could have just been just a whole bunch of ugh every time they came on the screen but his chemistry between him and liam neeson was so real it felt so good so real and it builds it has an arc and this is a movie that yeah. takes place over just three or four weeks but there's a whole arc here i mean at the end he says you know come on dad let's do it let's get the shit kicked out of us by love <laughs> and that was sweet I was it like, was sweet. Oh he calls goodness. him dad though that and, and again like i didn't pick up on that like i love everyone focuses on let's get the shit kicked out of us line it's he calls him that come on dad let's go i ah. Uh, Caroline, you know, my heart was just exploding when he's drumming <laughs> and they hold up the one finger to each other. You know, he does. Uh, uh, Daniel's in the audience and Sam is behind the kit and they hold up the one finger. I love it. And Olivia Olsen. I mean, that's her singing. Uh, All I want for you. What a great performance. This girl is a star. Richard Curtis actually had to edit it down to make her sound worse to make it more believable that it was a child singing in a, in a local school nativity pageant. Wow, that's that. Wow, because she was great. It's funny, actually. I was watching. That's and, the bad um, edit of her singing. That's like with them like <laughs> messing up her voice. That's singing. amazing. She yeah. did great. She yeah. really did great. So we're making our way pretty good uh, through all of these different plot lines and these characters. I, I mean, I hope this is the most useful way of doing it. I think it is because how I think about the movie. <laughs> I, hopefully people out there are not like, you're not doing it right. But I don't know. No, I think that th this movie is this type of movie where you have to go like couple by couple and like plot thread by plot thread. So I think one of the more interesting and outlier plot lines is Sarah's plot line, Laura Linney's character and her her secret or not so secret love of Carl in, you know, the, another inter-office romance. Uh, but Sarah, you know, her life is kind of dominated by taking phone calls from her brother, Michael, who the, the movie, I guess, shines light on it as it goes on, but it, it's, it, it's not fully set out, I guess, the whole deal. I think you're left to infer a lot of what's happening in that relationship. But at the same time, I, to me anyway, it's another one of those emotions that if you're dealing with family members and you need to always be there for a family member and be on call for a family member, how that can feel a little suffocating. I don't know if that's how you what you took from it or suffocating is not the right word, but always on call. The pressure of always having to pick up the Nokia ringtone when that call comes, because you never know if it's actually going to be an emergency that time. I think that Sarah does represent the universal caretaker, whether it's, you know, of a parent um, or or of, a, you know, a special needs family member. It does a good job of explaining 
not just that pressure, but also the role of Carl and like what he has to understand about what Sarah's obligations are, responsibilities are. And I can tell you, I was super turned off by Carl um, because when, you know, obviously he wants to be intimate with Sarah and the second time the phone rings and he says, well, picking up the phone, cure him or make him better. And I was like, I feel very uncomfortable with you, Carl. Like, first of all, I don't think you understand anything about what it is to be a caretaker. And I also feel like you have no idea what it is like to be intimate with someone else if you think their mind can just snap back into what's going on right here, right now. Um, like, it was all very ignorant and and just just really off base. Like I was like, man, this is never going to work. And I feel like that's what it comes to. Like Sarah's so excited to have this opportunity with Carl, but I mean, ultimately it can't go anywhere. And it's so obvious. Like on one hand you might say, Oh, well it's because she has to be a caretaker to Michael. And I'm going to say, no, it's because Carl has no idea how to be in a relationship with someone who's a caretaker. You know, that's very different. Right. In the end, I mean, you, you see the scene, they set up Sarah and Carl really via Alan Rickman, who is her boss, I guess, or at least a co-worker, but I think boss, maybe. Uh, the, 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 the working relationships in that office seem to be a bit blurred and maybe inappropriate also, since right. Alan ends up, uh, or Harry ends up stooping his secretary, erstwhile secretary, I guess. She is clearly head over heels with him, has been, I mean, they do the countdown, you know, she knows down to like, basically the entire time she's worked there, less an hour uh, that she's been in love with Carl. And at the end of the day he's kind of just looking to get laid right i mean he's just looking for a booty call that's how that scene comes off because he shows no sympathy clearly no empathy for her situation or any attempt to be a good guy in this situation he's just looking to get his and and that's sad and that's sad for sarah because she had this built up in her head for so long and it and it's sad also because it, it kind of it comes off almost like she ends up resenting having to be that caretaker because of Carl's reaction a little bit. And that's not what she needs. She doesn't need that extra pressure. And, and, and you know what? No, it's not going to make Michael better. It's not going to cure him, but it's what it is. It is what it is. And you're a hundred percent right. Like he clearly doesn't understand female anatomy and how that works. No, and, 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 he wouldn't understand, I guess. In, in intimate that. situations. Right. And, so I think that's disappointing too. Like, Oh, okay. So you're not like, and I, I like, don't like to use the word like lover or anything, but you're certainly like, you're not being a very caring, partner you know you're not somebody who's understanding anything of what would be going on in that situation and and he's getting his feelings hurt because she's saying no I'm not busy and stuff like that but like Carl (laughs) you just don't like what he just doesn't get it and and it's you know we kind of talked a little bit about like life experiences and stuff like that in the last episode with um Edward Scissorhands and just I guess you know if you if you're a young guy who hasn't had any life experiences where you understand what being a caretaker is like or anything like that you know, I, I guess that's fine. I, for the character, Sarah, resentment is a part of her everyday life. I guarantee you. So it's not that Carl necessarily made her feel resentful or, or having to deal with anything with her, with her brother. 
Every day she feels, I'm sure, immense love for Michael and also regret and resentment and anger and frustration and all the things. So, you know, and Michael himself, I mean, they do show us enough to see that, I mean, he's very volatile. So the idea of not picking up the phone was, is that really an option? Not really, you know? Just to say that out loud, just bruh, just to, just listen, think about what that's going to sound like when you say that out loud, whether or not you're even thinking it, but just saying it out loud, it sounds wrong. It sounds like the most callous thing you possibly could say in that situation. And, and clearly at a minimum indicates you have no appreciation for what the situation is. Yeah. This is this is not just a girl at the bar that you're picking up. And it seems everyone knows in the office her phone rings constantly. It's like a running gag in the movie or not gag, but it's a bit in the movie that her her Nokia phone rings constantly and she always picks it up and she always says fire away. You know, like that's her thing. How do you not know that you've worked with her for how many years at this point? It's just not a match. It's one of those things where you can have chemistry with someone and you can be attracted to someone. And, at you know, the second you peel back that first layer and realize, like, wait a minute, like, I'm actually seeing your heart and I'm actually seeing your values and I'm actually seeing all that. And now mm-mm, <laughs> this isn't going to work. And I mean, she she seems genuinely sad about it. I mean, they do a good job of showing her be like, you know, kind of shrug shouldered, like, I-, I wish it was different, but it isn't. And, you know, they both kind of look at each other that last scene where he's like, bye. And she's like, bye. Because it's just like, no, this is not a thing. So in test audiences, uh, apparently didn't like the original ending, how it was left ambiguous, whether or not they got together. Oh, I didn't think it was ambiguous, but go ahead. No, it was. Well, they went back and added that final scene on Christmas Eve where they're both working late the last two in the office. And he just kind of coldly gives her like a Merry Christmas and walks away without further comment. Uh, Richard Curtis added that in after initial test audiences had seen the movie and when their common feedback was this needs some kind of nail in the door or nail in the coffin some kind of finality to it and that's how that scene came about and you know it's effective I mean it definitely I I, I mean I think he looks comes out of looking at like a real uh you know I don't part of my French but like a douchebag this is one of those times where she just seems like she's in a different phase of her life completely and they did a good job of having her like give a little exposition about like there's no no parents to take care of him this is her sibling like this is the way it is and you know he he does live somewhere with care but still it requires her to be that accessible to him so you know it's it's a it's a story again we kind of talk about this when it was bad santa or some of these other ones that weren't like a traditional christmas movie where we said like there's like a slice of the pie who's going to understand this and there's definitely a slice of the pie who's going to understand sarah and carl and maybe maybe we don't have to be so hard on carl he just is inexperienced in this world of being a caregiver and what that means i had people when my kids were in the hospital for six months say like well you should take a vacation you should take this opportunity to go on vacation and and it's like, no, your mind doesn't work like that at all. And even if you were sitting on a beach somewhere, your heart and your head would be somewhere else. So it's a, you can't do that. So even if she didn't pick up the phone, she doesn't want to be kissing on you, Carl, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, I mean, and he went to you know boob out in hand like um like super mm-hmm. fast, and and obviously she she wanted that also. It was it was nothing less than super consensual, but you know again she's a full time caretaker, and so her mind is always kind of straddling those two worlds. Yeah, he yeah, I, and I don't want to sit here and bash Carl either because maybe you know there is the right shoe for him to fit kind of thing, but yeah. Uh, I don't have like a one-to-one correlation to it, but I understand it. And his lack of understanding was a huge turnoff. Yeah, it was just a non-starter. I mean, all they had to do was, you know, I mean, let her take the phone call, wrap up in a blanket, you know, like have like, I don't know, offer to go down and get a drink or something, you know, like kind of be cool for a minute. No one said you had to shut down the entire night. But once he made that comment, it was like, you know, I mean, where do we go from here? Right. And he is listening to her say several times, no, I'm not busy. No, I'm not doing anything. And I'm sure that is ego bruising. But you also don't, again, you don't know what the conversation is on the other end of the line. Like, I, I'm sure you could hear what Michael is saying to her. I mean, I think I have a good idea of the repetitive nature of the conversation that was happening there. Right. But Carl wasn't, he, he just didn't have the experience to expand his mind to take that all kind of into account. You know, he could have been a good guy there. He could have put a blanket around her and just sat next to her and like held her hand while she sat on the phone or something. You know, right. he had could have done a lot of things that would have earned him lots of oh good guy points <laughs> well and also like i mean how little do they know about each other honestly that they got that they were they didn't even have like a conversation to where he doesn't know that that that's the person on the other end of the phone you know on the regs like I, and then and so that again maybe there maybe there are a couple who like you know they they pine for each other from afar but you know, then they move really quickly and they don't really know what they're getting into. And then it turns out they're not actually a match and it just sort of fizzles out and you just kind of move from there. So sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know, puppy love or puppy lust and right. uh, and it's not meant to be anything more than that. You know, I, I give this movie a lot of credit, though, for not feeling a need given, depending on what the plot line is, to put a happy bow on it. Right. Because even after all of that, Sarah still goes to the hospital or the institution, sits with Michael. She gives him the scarf. OK, so they're having a nice moment. We finally see Michael. We've kind of put a face to, to the name and to the conversations. And then he kind of does that like quick lash out thing. And she has to like physically restrain him in a very practiced motion. It felt very real. It felt like something these two had been through. Yeah, she was very calm. And it was very also heartbreaking. You know, it was that it was not heartbreak. I, I, I Heartbreaking is not the right word. Well, it lets us know as the audience that this is a serious situation. He's not he is not someone who is simply, you know, needing to be looked after. He has these highs and lows that do need to be addressed. And she may need to be a part of that at a moment's notice, as as illustrated by the fact that he's talking and laughing and things are okay. And then he's gonna like act like he's gonna backhand her. That came out of nowhere. And so again, it would take a it would take a very special partner to understand, you know, what this looks like. And there's a couple different movies who go through this. Do you remember um something about Mary um and her brother and and she kind of she gauges all men basically on how they interact with him and and it's it's truly you know the men who 
who understand and can interact with him in a way that is caring and understanding. Those are the only people who she could remotely, you know, accept to make the cut. Uh, in subsequent interviews, Laura Linney went on record to say that she wished that her character did not pick up the phone while she was with Carl uh, while he was in the apartment. That made me sad. <laughs> that made me sad that she had that, that she took that view of it. In a relationship like that, I think you can probably get to a place where you look at each other and you say, okay, I know he's going to call back in probably 20 more minutes. He's in good hands. He's, he's being monitored. Like we didn't know during that time where he lived or what his scenario was or if he could hurt himself. Once we saw him, all the all everything had already happened with Carl. You know, we had already made decisions about Carl. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, so Michael actually lives in a place where there were people that probably could have assisted him. Was it as dire as she was treating it? Maybe not. And maybe over time with Carl under, you know, having some understanding, getting to know the situation, she could feel calm enough to turn the phone off for an hour or something, you know, but that would have taken time and a lot of trust between all the parties involved. And they just were nowhere close to that. No, and no real desire on anyone's part to get there either. No No, no one was going to do that part. (laughs) You know, the thing that the thing that also struck me about and, and heartbreaking is the word I used, but I think it was more of a visceral thing where he lashes out and she catches it so calmly and in such a practice way is you know her life doesn't take breaks on christmas michael doesn't suddenly act differently just because it's christmas eve or because the bells toll and it's christmas this is just her life every day there's something very sobering about that like you know i think there's this idea we even talked about it earlier in the podcast that you know on christmas day something is different we act differently or we're more open or whatever you know, but for some people, your life is still your life, no matter what day of the year it is. It's not calendar dependent. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that that's definitely a takeaway that kind of hits you with her and, and her situation at the, uh, you know, in that final scene. At our age and stage, I mean, there's plenty of peers that we have who are taking care of elderly parents or even siblings that that this is a very real situation you know and and it's not something that that is often illustrated in a story like this you know like it like i'm actually very proud of them for including this because it would have been easy to be like well let's have a love triangle let's have an older couple let's have a younger couple let's have friends let's have parents but this is a completely different love story between siblings where you think it's the love story between Carl and Sarah, and it's not. That wasn't a, the love story. It's Sarah and Michael that are the love story in that that plot line. I found myself, and I, again, I never had this thought before. I found myself watching it this time thinking, man, I know he winds up with Claudia Schiffer at the end, or Carol, as we're going to call her, right. uh, at the end. But I would have loved to see Sarah come across paths with either Daniel, the Liam Neeson character, or honestly, the Colin Firth Jamie character who got done dirty at the start of the movie by his brother and his mm. girlfriend. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I think... You know, I mean, he goes off to France and he meets uh, the Portugal woman. But yeah, I feel like either of those guys showed the kind of open heartedness or tender heartedness that maybe Sarah could use in her life. Well, one of the things that they share in common is they're older men who have more life experience than Carl. And so they're not just coming at this as like, I'm looking for like a fresh mate. They're looking at it like, 
I understand there's there's other parts to people's lives and you have to make it work together. And Daniel, especially Liam Neeson's character, especially finding himself a full time caretaker suddenly. You know, mm-hmm. he, he used of to a non-biological family member of a non-biological family member and, and doesn't shrink from it, doesn't run from it, doesn't blanch or or otherwise flinch or duck from that role. It fully embraces it and, and never wavers from it. That's the kind of guy, you know, think about their hearts, too. Right. Think about Jamie's heart and think about um, Daniel's heart in terms of like that they're willing to do stuff for the other person to show their love. They, they show interest in the other person. Jamie learns Portuguese, you know, and, and Daniel learns about Sam and, and his interest and his love life and his whole little thing going on. So it's like they they do stuff that Carl doesn't do, you know. Right. Well, and that's the age. Ladies, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is not a commercial for older men. But, you know, older men have some advantages over young, young stallions. I think that older women do, too. Hell yeah, they do. What did you think of? We haven't spent a lot of time. It's not a big plot line that resonates with me. And so maybe that's why I haven't brought it up yet. What do you think of the Colin Firth or Jamie and the Aurelia uh, meet cute? You know, I mean, that is a that's a whole movie, literally, actually a whole movie. I don't know if you know the the history here and I haven't gotten into it yet. Richard Curtis started writing two separate movies. He actually originally started writing the Hugh Grant storyline the prime minister a young prime minister who meets a woman and the jamie colin firth goes on holiday and meets a woman storyline as separate movies the the plot lines were running so parallel that he combined them into one movie but these were the original those were the original two main storylines that were originally two different movies that he was writing uh, I don't feel like the Colin first storyline is the major or even one of the two top major storylines in this movie. I've never felt that way. I'm sure there are people out there that like the foreign language meet cute. You know, they're always kind of talking just past each other. A lot of gesturing and pointing and whatnot. Yeah, you know, and like, you know, don't, don't go in there. It's not worth it. I'm not going, I'm going to get cold because of this drivel, this, you know, bad writing kind of thing. They're always doing that kind of talking about the same thing, but from slightly different ways, which is very funny and very cute it's and very sweet. Rom-com-y very rom-com-y. Very sure. rom-com-y. Very, yeah. very meet cute I think rom-com. they were the most rom-com-y to me. Like, they were the most, like, kind of out there because they actually mirrored a little bit more in-depth type of relationship as what Colin was doing. Colin was doing the shallow version of what Jamie was doing. He right. he met a foreign woman and that's what Colin wanted to do. And I mean, one is just more heartfelt and sincere and the other one's, you know, more just physical. So I thought the story was cute. I thought actually Aurelia's family was kind of the thing that sold it for me more than Jamie and Aurelia themselves oh my god the you know we talked about already with the families crowding in the doorway but this one was this one was the ultimate pinnacle of the bit though because the entire town slowly begins to join in it, it reminded me <laughs> of like was a really funny uh, was it i feel is it like a verizon commercial there was some commercial that that popularized this idea of the as someone marches through the town like the crowds grow bigger and bigger yeah, like collect people behind yeah you. it collects me and and the game of telephone about what they're doing there i mean uh the sister uh mrs duncan donuts 2003 she says that one point uh father is about to sell aurelia as a slave to this englishman yes. she i mean she shouts <laughs> that at the crowd but one time it's the english guy is going to kill aurelia and like the little boy says cool and like yeah. you know the crowd just kind of grows and they are they're all become vested and he ends up making out with the whole family right yes. the dad comes to give him <laughs> yes. a kiss the sister you know they all take their turns with them but she she learned a little bit of english too though 
I love that. Like, I, I love that they reveal. both made the gesture. You know, they both were trying to better themselves for the other and be be a little bit more of a match. You know, all the things Carl didn't do. You know, work on being a match for the person that you are attracted to. I mean, good lord, even Sam learned a skill in this movie to be a better match yeah. for his uh, for his woman, his young. Woman. I think that's totally appropriate. I know some people have sort of like a chip on their shoulder, like no one should have to change or or you know you don't go changing people, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. But don't go change. If you're attracted to somebody and you want to spend time with them, I don't think it's out of line to like look for ways to share time with them that that is something that's you know compatible so i mean god for communication's sake i mean obviously <laughs> we jamie and aurelia needed to be able to at least talk to each other you know but having enough attraction enough chemistry that you are willing to learn another language just to be able to even see if you're really a match i mean that's pretty great I'm afraid you did it again, Bill. It's just I know the old version so well, you know. Well, we all do. That's why we're making the new version. Right, OK, let's go. I feel it in my fingers. In my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Feel it in my toes, yeah. Love is all around. It's going to be salty language here uh, in a second, but it's very funny, so we have to play it. But cover your little one's ears if they're listening. You covered? Okay. Fuck, wank, bugger, shitting ass, head and hole. <laughs> he just runs the whole gamut. He gets all the words in there. Uh, man, it, it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> what do you think of old Billy Mac and Chubbs, his manager, his faithful sidekick, Joe? You know what? I thought the two of them were actually pretty cute at the end. I don't know that I feel like it was an earned ending for those two birds, though. That's the only thing that I have like a little bit of an eyebrow about because I don't know that Billy Mac really was like so keen on Joe the whole time. You know, like I didn't really get that he wouldn't go to the big party with Elton and all that kind of stuff. Like I didn't see that side of his heart ever the entire thing until the end when he suddenly has this 180 and is like, yeah, I'm not going to go to the big party. I want to hang out with you. I didn't see that coming and I didn't I didn't feel like they had that. I wish they had done a little bit more, done something else to show me there's the potential for that. And let's just cross our fingers. He does the right thing. Does that make sense? It does. I have a different take on it, but it does because I feel I feel like you see this relationship a lot, uh, or at least we see the trope of it a lot where a manager will stay. It's always with a musician, it seems like, but it's not Terribly unlike Jerry Maguire, uh, Ron, uh, you know, in uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character and Jerry Maguire and Tom Cruise, um, you know, they, they're all they have in this world. Everyone else has left them or everything else is faded. You're, you're so many years into it and you look around and it's this guy. This guy is just always there. You know, it's the magic of Christmas, right? This is the Christmas magic where that, there's, there's only a couple times a year where you stop and take stock of your world and who is with you. And 
and who's not with you and who should you be with. Christmas Eve feels very much like one of those kinds of nights that you look around and you shouldn't be alone. You should be with the one who brought you there, the one who, when you're honest with yourself and you're not blustering and you're not, you know, being drunk on a radio station, that guy has always been there with me. I need him. I need to be with him as much as anything else you know and it, i don't even think it's altruistic i think it's probably even selfish on billy max part he turns around and not having joe there probably feels a little bit like phantom limb stuff right yeah. like kind yeah. of like his right his right hand is literally missing that's that's the takeaway for me is at christmas time you stop and you look around and you're like who's missing from my life here who do i want to be with I agree with you, and, and it's just, it was just very late coming, though. That's all. Because, yes, but that's already the ending. Yeah, but he calls him out, though. He's he's chastising him the whole movie, though. And if you view it from the way that the, the oldest of old friends just call each other the worst possible names, it felt very Golden Girls to me, actually. These two Did you feel-, feel like it went back and forth, or it was just Billy to Joe? Well, Joe is just kind of the straight man, I think. I feel like he's he's a little bit of the Rose Nyland in the relationship. It, it, to me, it felt very like B. Arthur. Billy Mac is the B. Arthur. And Joe is the, well, B. Arthur and, and uh, Rue McClanahan. And Joe is kind of like the Rose Nyland, the Betty White character, just kind of always taking it abused and and loves the guy and literally will do anything uh you have to imagine joe probably could have other clients if he wanted to but there's a reason why he's stayed with billy mac uh well past his prime what are the muppets the grouchy muppets waldorf and statler waldorf waldorf and statler it's they're waldorf and statler these two old curmudgeons that just when they look around I mean, yes, they're bolted to the seats. That's why they can't leave. But, you know, they're all they've got. They're just you wake up one day and you're super old and washed up and well past your prime when anyone really wants to be with you. But there's this guy. He's right next to you. It was sweet that they included like an old friendship like that. I mean, I think that in general and it could have been guys, girls, anything really. But I think that it's it's nice to have that moment where it was like he wanted authenticity over like the glamour and the glitz of of the big party. And I think that's great. I mean, I definitely laughed at the let's get pissed and watch porn. I was like, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> That, that surprised me. You know, then on, uh, you know, he's he's uh, getting butt naked on TV playing his song later on. He certainly was. <laughs> so, you know, I this movie introduced me to Bill Nye. I didn't really know him at all before this. Okay. Um. So I, I just kind of became a fan of his because of this movie. And I think that's also too. I think he's just so pitch perfect at that Mick Jagger, Keith Richards-esque kind of well past his prime British rocker just doesn't realize that everything has gone wrinkly. Uh, that kind of thing. You know, they thought about actually getting a rock star to play this role. The producers decided that such a such an actor or such a musician would make too many demands and be, oh. it'd be too high maintenance. So they went that's with an funny. actor to play the role instead. And I that's think that's the right funny. call, though. I think, I think these guys have pretty good chemistry, and it's definitely a... Uh, it's definitely a comic relief part of the movie. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's completely time for us to hit the very quick portion of Was This a Christmas Movie? You get to go first here because I went first to unsuccessfully defend Edward Scissorhands to you as a Christmas movie. So uh, you get to go first and tell me why you don't think this is a Christmas movie. Oh, I wasn't going to say that. See? Oh. I wasn't going to say that. OK, so, I mean, obviously the timeline that they set up is Christmas. You know, I think that there was a lot here that had the 
family element, the hopeful element, the, um, I mean, they certainly do Christmas morning, there's gifts, there's, you know, there's, there's that, that sort of not very often talked about portion of like with, um, having Karen, like wonder what her gift's going to be from her husband and the, the old, you know, always going to give me a scarf kind of thing. Like that's all Christmas. I mean, that's all, that's all the whole thing. And, you know, there's some of the storylines that are more Christmassy than others. Having the Christmas play and all that stuff was sweet and cute and having kids with like when they were dancing the baby Jesus in the, in the manger, it was making me really laugh. Like they're rocking him back and forth to the music. It was very funny. And the stress of making a Christmas costume. I mean, yes, yeah. sometimes, I mean, sometimes parents have to make, you know, their kids play costumes, but the idea of it being a Christmas pageant, I think that's something that's relatable to a lot of parents, or at least the wintertime Christmas, uh, the wintertime play uh, is a thing and a stress level when you don't need any more stress, right? You're already doing <laughs> presents and, and other seasonal obligations the winter program (laughs) yeah for sure you know so i so i i will say that this is a great movie that you can watch at christmas time i mean i do think you could obviously watch it at valentine's day but they really leaned hard on all this stuff about christmas is the time you tell your feelings christmas is the time that you make men's you tell people how you really feel you be truthful they put that in there a lot enough for me to be like okay they really want you to be in a christmas headspace so i'm good calling it Christmas movie. Well, that makes me very happy. <laughs> Shocker. So I think just like Edward Scissorhands, I think this is one of those movies that works at multiple different times of the year, in particular Valentine's uh, Day. I think th- especially for a couple, if you don't want if you want to watch the unedited version, this is definitely a rom-com. I just it overwhelms me, though, in a Christmas way. Every time I watch it, though, it makes me think of Christmas first and foremost. You have so many you have all of the different aspects of family and and family pressure and family stress and family coming together and love the idea of being alone or, or not alone, the need to be around someone or not be around someone. All of that is at play in some of these characters that it's at Christmas time is a thing. We've talked about this in countless episodes. Christmas time heightens all of these things, good and bad. And this movie, I think, leans heavily into that heightened nature. Yes. Do you do you have to make your kids lobster costumes sometimes? Sure. But it's not also at, at every time of the year that you're also worrying about uh, your, your husband buying Christmas presents for another woman or buying your own Christmas presents for your family or coordinating dinners or, you know, all the other things that go on at Christmas time that you don't have to worry about necessarily any other time yeah there was a, there was a lot of moments actually of people having all their relatives to deal with and that was like definitely a holiday vibe and and just the, the shots at Heathrow the the intro shot especially you know love actually is all around the the closing shot where they all kind of come back together yes that's a month later but you know the airport is a hub of of Christmas time activity because people are coming in or going out to see people or come back together again I don't know it it all just feels like a movie that should be set at Christmas time could you do this movie at any other time of the year yeah I think you could have but Richard Curtis I mean Richard Curtis even officially went on record he likes christmas movies so he started writing this not as a christmas movie specifically but once it kind of got going and some of the themes were there he leaned heavily into it to make it a christmas movie he wanted this to be a movie people watched at christmas time it's maybe a little bit of veneer but i think there's some good substantive christmas 
movie elements here for me beyond the pale but even for those people who are i don't even think this is an alternative christmas movie where you're talking about the blockbuster aisle or your amazon categories on amazon prime you know categories i think this falls pretty squarely under christmas movies i don't even think you have to put this under the alternative christmas list no i completely agree with you i'm glad you uh you liked it was it. my first time I was a newbie here and I totally I, I got you. I understood your POV. Well, I'm, I'm curious in a couple of years, I'd like to come back and do a, a revisit of this, a homecoming uh, with you real would. world. Coming up. Well, because I'd like you to watch this movie a couple more times and then see how it sits with you over the years. And if your feelings change on it, good or bad, I think this is the kind of movie that the more you live in it, the more it kind of ingratiates itself into you. <laughs> Fascinating. Okay, I agree to that you want to hit some fast facts before we uh, go to jingle bell ratings i do okay so i think one of the best known scenes from the movie is the hugh grant dancing scene i feel like they showed that in the trailers even i knew it and i had never seen the movie it's one of those iconic scenes like the cue cards you yeah. know turns out hugh grant hated the dancing scene because he didn't think a prime minister would do something like that i think he's probably right that a prime minister probably wouldn't boogie like that or at least not that long i think they could have let him do some dance moves but that was a very long dance sequence oh apparently he had all sorts of tantrums on set i mean he he, at one point he yelled at curtis uh he's like where's the music coming from i'm you know uh, okay i'm dancing in my room fine that makes sense i'm gonna dance down their music is still playing what throughout the entire castle throughout 10 downing street you know he was he was having quite a fit about it but it came off great and it's you know you can't you can't beat it he's he's doing everything you need to do and watch that scene again with the idea in your head that he didn't want to do it i mean he's 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 given oodles of charm in that scene <laughs> it's adorable so he's got that whole thing he's got that whole thing uh <laughs> speaking of hugh grant thomas sankster is second cousin once removed from hugh grant so they're actually family that's crazy right the British people, they're all related. It's a small island. Well, speaking of family, Dame Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant played brother and sister in this movie, but they previously played lovers in Sense and Sensibility in 1995. That is funny. I'm a big Mr. Bean fan. I love Rowan Atkinson. I think yeah. he always makes me laugh. I love him in the jewelry store that that I, I could see the Macy's counter with the flourishes and the holly sprig and just watching Alan Rickman when go. When he put that glove on to get the holly Sprig out. I mean, I, I really, I was laughing the whole time because, of course, Mr. Bean is just a minx and is always doing such silly things. But the how long it lasted and oh, then he yeah. puts that glove on, I was like, oh you, you feel, you start feeling Alan Rickman's anxiety in that scene because you know, you know, Karen is coming back at any minute, and it's like, how long is this going to go on? Because as a guy, listen gift wrap is a great thing you know everyone wants a fancy gift wrapping but also i hate being in stores literally a second longer than i have to so if i had to sit there and watch that like as a movie i can be amused by it but if i'm in alan rickman's spot there i'm jumping up and down ripping out my hair uh yeah just going crazy but it makes me hoot every time makes me laugh every time but did you catch that it's it's rufus it's rowan atkinson at the end of the movie who really enables sam to get through security so he can go tell joanna how he feels about him 
yes, I did notice that. And I loved his little face to the side. He gives that side eye over to Liam Neeson like, "Mm, I just did that. (laughs) Well, the original script had him disappearing after that scene. After he uh, after he gets, you know, causes a distraction so Sam could get through security, he was apparently supposed to like kind of walk off and disappear into the ether because the idea was that Rufus, that character, Rowan Atkinson's character, was an angel in the original script. And Ooh. the reason he's taking so long at the gift counter is because he he's trying to prevent Alan Rickman from buying that present is is the motivation under the original script. He's I acting like as it. like so he's dragging it out. I see. Okay, right. To so that it works out exactly how it does. Right, because Emma Thompson comes back and he's not able to actually walk away with the present. He's acting as kind of like a like an angel interfering, a Clarence, if you will, interfering with the affairs of man. So he's he's trying to prevent Alan Rickman from destroying his marriage. And at the end of the movie, he's trying to make young love blossom by giving Sam an out. It, it, it would prove too much some people read it and they were like that's too much stuff going on just have him appear in both places don't make him an actual angel but that's his reasoning for both of those scenes that he's in in the movie well, that's very cute and i love all of that and i think he is yeah. adorable. so yeah I, lo- I love that that totally works for me i mean he he does seem to have his reasons <laughs> when he's doing it all so i could go with that how about this one? So for her one minute cameo, Claudia Schiffer reportedly got roughly $300,000. <laughs> oh, Claudia. The school used for the nativity concert at the end of the movie is Elliot School in Putney, Southwest London. It's also where Pierce Brosnan went to school until he was 15. This one is a, is a sweet one, I guess. Um, Writer-director Rebecca Frain is used for the pics of dead wife Joanna. That's Daniel's wife. Um, she was Richard Curtis's crush, and he asked her for all the prettiest pictures of her from her whole life. Oh, very sweet. Very yeah. Sweet. I mean, he's married and so is she. So that's a little weird. But yeah, he, he totally on record, though, that he loved her and has a huge crush on her and admires her work. The word actually is spoken 22 times by various characters throughout this movie. If you count it appearing on screen in the prologue, it actually is 23 times. That is funny because I think you've said the word actually about that same amount in this podcast. Well, love actually <laughs> is all around. So. Love it. Okay, Mike, are you ready for some Jingle Boy ratings? Yes, but can I play you a clip from next week's movie? I think you better. Hey, give a man a break. He's a dad trying to get a toy. Oh, yeah, cuts, man. Yeah. Last minute shopping, huh? Yeah. Enough to drive a man insane in. Myron Larrabee. Howard Langston. <laughs> See, I have to shop late because it's the busiest time of year for me. All these important Christmas letters that people send to folks they don't even talk to but once a year. Not to mention relatives sending presents they're going to have to send back anyway. How many toiletry kits does a man need? How about these little stupid letters from kids to Santa at the North Pole? Dear Santa, could you send me a bike and a flinky? No, your father's been laid off. No, your father's been laid off. The scene actually goes on for another minute and six seconds, but I've paused it there. It's very, very funny. Uh, the, the scene actually made me laugh out loud, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause it there because he uses some rough language after that. But Okay, so I know that's Sinbad and I know that that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I can't remember the, the name of this Christmas movie. This one is 1996's Jingle All the Way. One man's bad dad pursuit of a toy at the very last minute because he is a horrible dad otherwise. So he's trying to prove it by buying his son's love. 
very excited. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rita Wilson, uh, Sinbad, uh, Phil Hartman in one of his last on-screen film roles. Well, I I look forward to that one because it seems like it's going to be silly and funny and lighthearted. Yeah, this is one of the ones that I definitely saw in the movie theater as a kid and remember the basic premise of, or I guess it wasn't a kid. I was a senior in high school or, or had just graduated high school, but uh, maybe yeah, I was a freshman in college, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely remember the premise of this movie. The finer points of it are totally escaping me. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this one holds up in my memory. Are you ready for some Jingle Bell ratings? I am. I, I feel nervous about this one. I don't really know what to rate it. I don't know where to put it in this whole scenario here. I'm struggling. Could you help me with the spreadsheet a little bit and tell sure. me what I have around the sevens? What do you have around the sevens? Because I have, have to decide if I like it more than that. You have Bad Santa at six. You have How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey movie uh, version at a seven. Santa Claus is Coming to Town the inappropriate 1970 animated movie is a seven bad mom's christmas 7.5 prancer a seven anna the apocalypse a 6.5 jack frost an eight christmas with the cranks an eight what i got i was very generous i think i got very generous on some of these the ref you have at 7.5 oh, uh goodness Meet Me in St. Louis gave an eight mixed nuts a six edward scissorhands a six Man, that was very New Yorker of me. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> hey, bada bing, bada boom. Get over here. Okay, Edward. shoot. Okay, all right. Could you be a gentleman and go first, please? Oh, sure. I mean, I, again, this is all tainted by this movie being a longtime favorite of mine. I'm going to give, I'm going to go pretty high on this one. I'm giving this one a 9.25. Wow. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. It just is everything that I want from a modern kind of Christmas movie. I love lots of plot lines that kind of all intersect and, you know, the, the lost nerd in me that likes to keep, you know, hold of different plots and see how they all kind of interweave very much getting that, that itch scratched here. I love all of the messages. So many of these uh, storylines make me feel different things that relate to Christmas time and and family and love, and again, it's it's one of those things I could, could just kind of pull it off the shelf and whatever emotion I want to feel, I can go kind of zoom in on at that given moment. But it all makes me feel like Christmas. The second this movie begins, the second Hugh Grant's uh, you know a voiceover begins, I'm right in a Christmas zone like that. And it's then just up to me of what kind of mood am I in? Am I going to be silly? Am I going to be serious? Is my heart going to be heavy? Is it going to be light? Is it going to be joyful? Uh, it's all there. I think all of those family themes. There's Is there any really Christmas magic? No other than Billy Mack having the number one song. Joanna, uh, um, uh, Sam getting through the airport security in a post 9-11 world to go see Joanna at the, at the boarding gate. All that kind of stuff. I guess you could kind of chalk up to the magic of Christmas. But there is joy and there is hope and there is family and there is love galore. I agree with you on all of those points. I'll give it an 8.75 because I don't think I've given anything that. I agree with you. I think for me, because this is a first time watch, I these characters and these storylines are so quick and so cut together in a way that I feel like you do have to watch it a bunch of times. And this could be one of those things that could become a tradition for a family or, or a couple or whatever to watch. I could see where you watch it over and over again and you get to know these characters better and better and better. And I think that would raise your genius. Bell rating every time that you saw it. For me, I got to start off at an 8.75. Which equals your rating you gave a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. Which just what? <laughs> but okay. Those are very different. 
different movies, but yeah, all good. Well, you know, they're they're touching on different aspects of the Christmas story. Well, we have talked a lot about this movie, Mike, actually lots about this movie. Actually, we really have. This is going to be one of our longer ones. I, I, I had made a, com- a commitment to myself to keep it under two hours, and we have done that just barely. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, actually, this is Caroline. And this is Mike, actually. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic so that we don't have to sell you into slavery to an Englishman. We'd appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.